Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm David Michel. Design, so it is often said, is a process, one that drives idea into object, building, or service. And often that process hinges on the critical phase of prototyping, that is, a series of crude iterations of the end product. So useful is this design way of approaching creative challenges that quote-unquote design thinking has become one of the industry's most buzzworthy exports, finding its way into innumerable corporate boardrooms where the concept of prototyping is floated as a way to avoid big mistakes by jumping straight to final versions. In the pod today, a curator and a designer in praise of the prototype, which, as one of our guests puts it, can liberate you to think beyond the conventional. I'm Ria Patel. I'm the curator at the Aram Gallery, and I'm also a freelance writer. I'm Dean Brown, and I'm a product designer. Ria is curator of the Aram Gallery, an independent gallery dedicated to new and experimental design. She's a contributing editor to British design magazine Icon, as well as a contributor to other titles, which include Wallpaper, Diseño, and The Independent. She's a past editor of Frame magazine and past senior editor of Icon, having studied architecture before her career in journalism. Dean is a Scottish designer based in London. He designs and makes objects, installations, and interiors with a dedication to materiality and narrative, delivering projects for clients including Google, Uniqlo, and Nike. His work has been exhibited internationally at the Milan Design Fair, as well as here in London at the London Design Festival and the Victorian Albert Museum. Dean will also be part of Ria's next exhibition at the Aram Gallery, opening mid-July, the 11th edition of their Prototypes and Experiments series. Yes, the next exhibition at the Aram Gallery will be Prototypes and Experiments. It's the 11th edition, and it's kind of a semi-regular exhibition for the gallery, um, started by the original curator, who was Daniel Charney, in 2002. It's, uh, it's one that kind of keeps reappearing because it's um, still got value. People really like to kind of see products in process and designers and um, visitors like to kind of nosy around at what other designers are doing and how they make stuff as well. Um, so the next edition starts on the 18th of July at the Aram Gallery and uh, we've asked 17 exhibitors from a really wide range of disciplines um, from product and furniture design but also kind of more of a craft background this time and we've just asked them to kind of either show the kind of process of a single project or give us some kind of scene from their studio which tells us about how they like to work and might reveal something about the way that they think as well. So Dean is actually this is his second edition of Prototypes and Experience. He's been in one before, and um, he'll be in this one in July as well. Yeah, so it's um, it's really great to be exhibiting again. Uh, you know, I, I'm a very sort of keen fan of the Aram Gallery as a visitor. I, I go and see shows there all the time, and I, I'm sort of even more enthused as uh, a designer exhibiting uh, in the show. And uh, I'm going to be previewing project called flat lamp and the the invitation was a kind of opportunity for me to uh take a prototype uh and sort of really sort of explore it in public uh i think it's 
a really great platform to kind of almost like uh, think out loud in a sort of exhibition setting about uh, a project. And what's interesting about this particular project is that it it's a very simple lamp design that uses flat material. Uh, so it could be paper, it could be sheet aluminium, it could be something as radical as seaweed. I, I like the idea that any flat material could sort of be transformed into uh, this lighting product uh, through the ingenuity of folding and joining and connecting in a few simple points and then introducing LED lighting and switches. So it's, it's, it's really a kind of a vehicle to explore different materials and different methods and through those difference of materials and kind of impressions, you really get different affordances in the same product. So what you will see uh, during the exhibition is repetitions of the same product, but made of diversely different things. Um, and I think that's really interesting to sort of uh, allow me sort of think about where this project is going next. Um, it might become a very sort of democratic, uh, accessible kit product, uh, and then it will be manifested in certain materials. Or I think it also has the opportunity to kind of go the other way and become a slightly experimental, uh, almost like a gallery edition type product, and that will be dictated by different materials again. And I really like the idea of sort of having the opportunity to exhibit it as a way to sort of see what other people think about it. Mm-hmm and sort of see what I think about what other people think about it yeah. as well and sort of really sort of uh, allow that kind of slightly speculative stage in every design project to sort of play out uh, in public rather than sort of privately within the studio. I think yeah. it's really healthy to sort of like get other people's opinions and other people's feedback uh, throughout a process. And yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I think it's quite interesting that you <clears throat> invite that feedback. Um, that's obviously, we're really free when we ask people to participate in this exhibition. We don't kind of specify which project they should show um, or, you know, we kind of have a conversation each time. Somebody Sometimes it's really clear what the designer wants to show, but sometimes I kind of visit the designer. We literally go and look on their shelves and pick out something interesting. Um, but I think the process of, but putting process on a show for some designers is quite difficult that, or, or they find the kind of testing of their ideas quite a private thing. So I think it's quite interesting that you are open to the idea of, you know, using this as a kind of test bed. It is really actually what the gallery is for. We're not a commercial gallery. We're interested in process and how designers think and kind of, um, yeah, we're quite like loose with how we program the gallery. So in a way that's quite true to what we're, we're trying to do, um, but you're quite happy to kind of invite feedback or. Oh yes, or, absolutely. It's, it seems like I don't see it going all that badly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I sort of fully understand the scenario where people might uh, ideas are quite fragile in general, and yeah. you know the, the 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 danger, I suppose, of of showcasing a prototype early on is that the idea hasn't sort of fully formed yet mm. and you haven't quite figured out the potential of yeah. what 
the project is yet. So yeah. maybe doing so in some circumstances will make make the project kind of uh, fall before the first hurdle. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've got any particular projects that were like that, but I, I think I understand the principle in general that it can be a sort of daunting process to to sort of to sort of show things and yeah it's it's i suppose in some cases it's not really for for sharing it um yeah and sometimes like sharing things is quite scary uh but not not necessarily for me i think yeah. I, I don't know what it is about it i just feel I feel reasonably confident and reasonably excited yeah. to sort of put my things out there. I think maybe it's also to do with the way design is becoming a bit more collaborative generally. Like mm. there we have we are moving from an era of you know designs being signed by somebody and it's very much oh this is a Philippe Stark design that's a you know and then and actually maybe designers are kind of being more open to sharing things at an earlier stage and they they realize the benefit of that the kind of you know getting feedback earlier might improve yeah. the product i think it probably will inevitably improve the product and if it's a self-initiated project which i think is the case with a lot of kind of designers establishing themselves then there's no red tape there you yeah. know there's no client or 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 sort of uh project collaborator that would inhibit that from going out there at an early stage um, yeah. so i suppose it's slightly different if if it's uh like a client commission project where where things have to sort of stay under wraps until the point of being launched or whatever. Yeah. But um, I really like the idea of putting personal work out there as soon as possible, really. Yeah, because sometimes the problem that I come across when asking architects and designers for prototypes is um, obviously sometimes they know it's a gallery setting, even though we're quite a, we're not a particularly precious space. Um, they feel like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll remake that um, because, you know, now it's going to go on show. And it's like, no, we actually want to see all the bits of tape and the, you know, scruffy cardboard that you that you kind of, you know, you made without thinking that you were ever going to present this. Um, we are actually quite interested in that, but some people are uncomfortable about putting it on show. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the other thing that, that sometimes is a barrier is uh, when we're, we're asking kind of more established practices who do more with manufacturers, they don't actually own the prototypes of their projects. Um, the company owns the prototypes and they're not able to share them because the company is nervous about these prototypes, someone being able to copy them because they can see the details or the kind of skin and bones of a chair or they can see how it was made. So that's the other kind of sometimes thing that I come up against I can never really ask you know someone who's made something for Vitra to put their prototype in the gallery it's just it ends up being a bit more at the end of self-initiated projects like yours or um you know somebody who's just working on something which doesn't have those constraints and then the third kind of barrier to this exhibition so this is the fourth one that I've curated now um is the fact that most people can't, don't have the luxury of kind of keeping their prototypes. It's storage is a big issue. Everybody's working in ever smaller studios and they're kind of like, oh, I had this amazing mock-up of this chair. You know, they can't make stuff at one-to-one -one because they just can't keep it. They can't, they have no storage um, facility for these things. So it's a kind of, you know, we know it's important to keep prototypes, 
oh, well, that's what we've discovered from doing this exhibition, but it's not always a possibility. You said that your flat is full of prototypes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think my my situation with my lack of studio, I I I, I basically don't have a studio. Uh, I, I work quite happily uh, from home, and I also have a relationship with the university, which kind of meets my sort of making needs. Uh, so, yeah, my my living room is like a complete sort of workaholic mm-hmm. prototyping. Uh, pile up of yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah I quite like it that way uh, it, it it feels nice to sort of have a living room full of um, ideas but now that I think about it um, I, I do tend to work across different scales so I'm definitely responsible for projects that are product scale uh, and increasingly I'm working at kind of installation and interior scale mm. And as I think about what you just said about space, uh, the only prototypes that I that I have and the only prototypes that I think about making, I think are things that are on a product scale. Yeah. Uh, I've, it's never occurred to me to sort of prototype something of a furniture scale or an interior scale because yeah. I suppose part of it is that I simply just don't have the space. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really occur to me until now that that's a kind of decision I make mm. regarding prototyping, but it probably is inherent to the issue of space. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting to think, I mean, I'm thinking about getting a real studio. I feel like maybe in a year's time, I might be at a stage where I really need to have that. Yeah. Um, and that would be a really interesting uh, transition point where the invitation to make bigger stuff probably will change mm. the... The design process mm. uh, where I can start to sort of conceive of prototyping on a larger scale and as soon as you start prototyping anything I think it it allows you to think beyond the conventional yeah um, if you're going straight from let's say computer work to the final thing yeah then I think it's inherently using conventional means. Yeah. And I quite like that constraint. A lot of my work does involve very sort of time-honored techniques and quite quite basic materials. Um, And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But if you you sort of skip the prototyping phase, I think it definitely kind of guides the work towards um, things that are more risk-averse. Yeah. Like using certain materials that you know are going to work yeah um and as soon as you start to introduce the prototyping phase between the sort of idea phase and the final phase then it really sort of liberates you to think beyond the conventional and to to endeavor to take more risks and endeavor to to sort of to kind of fail in the middle of the project yeah, rather, rather than, than at the end of the project. Point, yeah. I think it's really important for architects particularly who are working on, um, you know, really big scale projects that sometimes they have to test stuff for proof of concept that, you know, for the client that actually, yes, this facade isn't gonna, is not going to work in the rain. You know, they have to weather test these things. Um, on When a project's on site, they're still testing. They're still asking the contractor to 
mock up part of a doorway, how it's going to meet a, and you know a detail of another part of a building. And uh, those things actually never, they're really, really interesting things in themselves. If you could keep them and put them in a gallery, I'd love to, but they're far too heavy and far too big to get into our third floor gallery up the stairs. But there's been so many, like particularly pavilion projects where something's made on site just for the purpose of, of testing it out. Or sometimes it's communication and we'll, we talked a bit about that, about um, making something to explain to somebody, this is how it should be. And in a way that you just can't do uh, with a drawing or something that's too too small a scale to like really get to the grips with the detail of it. Like when we were, so I studied architecture before journalism, before curation. And um, it's true that, it, you know, we were always encouraged to like get out of one scale and move into another because the questions that you have to answer when you're making something full scale or at a larger scale are completely set, different set of questions to when you're making something that's tiny and sits on your desk um you suddenly have to figure out like oh that looks completely wrong at that scale or like you know this person would you know it wouldn't be very comfortable if you were sitting inside this building and the window was this large like it's just it's a whole different set of considerations and if you kind of yeah if you miss out that process is it is detrimental but um we also talked about like well, what's something we often talk about when I'm sort of working with exhibitors for this exhibition is why is it important to still make physical prototypes when we have so many tools online that we can, sorry, on, on the computer that we can model digitally, we can, um, you know, make things super realistic. Uh, if we do want to communicate to a client how something is going to be, we can almost walk them through a building or walk them through a project. But why what is the importance of still making physical things and why do you think that it's still important to do that in your work? I think it's sort of fundamentally de dealing with uh, three-dimensional work. It, mm. it's, it's, it's always eventually going to become something physical and something tactile. So uh, to, to sort of introduce a physicality to the project as early as possible is is really truthful to what it eventually will become. Um, and I suppose when I'm doing something on the computer and then I try to sort of make a really rough model of it, um, I tend to be surprised. You know, there's there's, a, there's an element of what you imagine it to be like on the computer. And mm. then whenever you, you make even a very rough paper model, it isn't quite like what you, you, you mm. thought it was going to be like. And then you immediately start making sort of constructive criticisms about, oh, yeah. okay, I thought it was going to be like that, but actually it's like this, mm, this is interesting, maybe it should be taller or smaller. Um, so that's a very sort of, sort of object-centric reason to prototype. Mm. And I think um, there's a really interesting uh, theme that comes from uh, the studio industrial facility mm. uh, called Product as Landscape. Uh, and... What, it, what I think it means for them is they think about um, objects as not just isolated things, but um, things that very significantly sit within a wider context. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really beautiful principle. Uh, and prototyping allows you to see an object in a wider situation. Yeah. So to see it on the table, to see it leaning against the wall, to mm. experience it with 
other things that it will come in contact with. Mm. Um, and, and that's really significant to to be mindful of this landscape of other things around it. And mm. prototyping sort of immediately allows you to sort of get that sense of the thing in the world rather than the thing in isolation on yeah. the screen or on a piece of paper. Which is maybe what digital modelling sort of causes you to do that you're working on this thing that you can view from all angles angles that you can't view as a you'll never view as a human of a of an object or a building um and yeah if you're time short you're probably not modeling all the context for something you're just literally modeling the thing as if it exists in in space um with no kind of real world context to it you're listening to Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. In conversation are curator and writer Rhea Patel and designer Dean Brown. You also mentioned about working with a university and sometimes you're having to prototype as a kind of tool to communicate with somebody. So just in, in the quickest way of saying, this is what I mean, this is you know, what I'm thinking of to kind of get an idea out of your head and into some physical form to explain to somebody else. That's obviously another part of, crucial part of making something, reason to make something, is that you need to, to tell someone quickly and, you know, without any ambiguity, this is what I um, mean. Um, and also, I think just having the physical object in a kind of, in a, col- a collaborative setting, having something there means that people can then talk about it and give you their input or... You know, if something's only existing in your screen or in your head, um, you don't get that input. But what's your experience of working in the kind of prototyping as a team? Do you ever do that? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's really vital. And it's, uh, I think it's a very different aspect of prototyping uh, when I'm working uh, at Goldsmiths. So um, I'm a member of the Interaction Research Studio. Uh, I work there part time as a research fellow. And we're a team of designers and technologists. uh, And it's it's an interesting sort of alternative way of working because we're working on projects where we're really responsible for a part of it, but then your project collaborator uh, is someone who is really responsible for another part of it. Mm. uh, And it tends to be a skill set that's different from yours. So... Uh, often working with a creative technologist, for example, who who might be making like a custom circuit board or uh, something that I really sort of know very little about. Yeah. And then prototyping becomes this really significant part of kind of communicating to each other uh, about how something comes together. And I suppose when I'm prototyping personally, I, I really... I sort of more or less know what it's going to look like and feel like yeah. and uh, sort of sort of holistically aware of the facets of a project. Yeah. Uh, whereas when I'm working on prototypes at Goldsmiths, then I suppose I'm, I'm very responsible and aware of about half the project, but yeah. then the other half of the project, which is the kind of the technical part of the project, um, it's often surprising to me what I'm seeing from... You, you tend to see sort of brilliant, amazing, strange electronic things that uh, that that really kind of expand your thinking about of of what something could be. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very kind of refreshing and different way to prototype. 
yeah. where you're sort of really uh, involved with much more unknowns. Yeah. So the last edition of this Prototypes and Experiments was one that purely looked at architectural models. And um, again, we had this kind of, you know, we asked everybody that participated, um, you know, can we see the making that goes on, that you know, the real things that you have to make along the way. Um, and some things are really rough just for communication amongst themselves. But when a kind of client's involved and you have to make something for presentation, it sort of changes the the reason for your making a model or a prototype kind of changes somewhat. Um, <clears throat> and I think the reason that people love architectural models is the kind of, uh, well, the miniaturization of stuff is always nice. It's the kind of like this doll's house scale world that's nice to look into. Um, that's why I really like them. But <laughs> it's also a level of abstraction. Like, you know, these things aren't complete, like, prints, miniaturised prints of our real world. They belong in some kind of betweenness, don't they? They're like, um, if, a, if an architect makes a model that's too realistic, the, the client's going to think, oh, that's exactly how it's going to be, and I'll be really disappointed if that doesn't turn out to be what I get. Um, but if it's too simple, it kind of falls into that area of, like... Um, everyone imagines it to be something slightly different, and that also kind of leads to you know, maybe disappointment or miscommunication about how something's going to be in the end. So is, is there a kind of art, like, of getting, you know, giving enough information for something that you're... This is about sharing with people who are maybe not trained in design, who are maybe looking at an object um, with with from a different interest or a different background. Um, so you have to kind of be in between giving too much information and not giving enough information about how something will be in the end. I think so. I think yeah. it's. I think it's. Uh, I think there's an art, as you say, to sort of getting the right, the right fidelity of prototype, mm. and a good prototype should feel like a work in progress. Yeah. It should leave something to the imagination. Yeah. And especially, as you say, with architecture, you're dealing with uh, client stakeholders who yeah. who have a lot of kind of investment in the project, but maybe they don't have uh, design literacy, so they can't mm. necessarily uh, look at things the way a designer would look at things. Yeah. And I think a model is just this really brilliant thing to to sort of cluster around in a big group. Yeah, It's almost impossible to sort of get the same experience clustering around a computer screen. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about a model is it sort of invites... Uh, sense of like constructive criticism you can mm. see that it's not finished yeah or i think a good model probably does have those qualities yeah uh, and it feels like something that you could change you could adjust um yeah. so conversely it is really difficult to actually adjust yeah. uh, an architectural <laughs> yeah, yeah, model um, and like the 3D modeling software is often something that feels very rigid, but actually it's very easy to change. So yeah. it's the contrary to yeah. how it really is in a way. But I think it it sort of represents something that suggests maybe change or yeah. or and it just has a charm, as you say. Like yeah. the, the the idea of miniatures is always good. <laughs> I suppose you feel very powerful as the sort of property developer or whatever, and like yeah. you're, you're you're able to kind of like tower over this yeah. like nice you're model making worlds. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of like putting process on show and, and why why this kind of theme comes keeps coming back to the Aram Gallery, 
Um, so we, our kind of, we have a few aims. Uh, one is about sharing experimental and new design. One is about kind of supporting designers in their early careers. So we're often working with emerging designers or designers in that gap between kind of graduating and setting up um, their studio or getting to a point where they have the means to make their own exhibition. And then the other kind of aim, which I think is really important, is um, promoting understanding of contemporary design. And the reason for that we have such an emphasis on process in the gallery, not just through the prototypes series, but in every exhibition we ask whoever is showing to show us some of their process or um, present things in a certain way that let us into how they think, reveal something about how they approach design. And I think the reason for that um, is partly to kind of add value to the idea of design um, for a kind of wide wide as audience as possible a non-specialist audience so the Aram gallery is in the in the within the Aram store which is a furniture store specializing in modern furniture very kind of um iconic furniture modernist furniture um very high-end um stuff so to find the gallery you kind of already have to have found the store um which means our our audience is perhaps not as wide as we think it is um but we do have a kind of real desire to um make the gallery a kind of like a cultural counterpoint to the commercial um aspects of the store but it, it does have this kind of function that um you know if you didn't know anything about design and you walked through the store and you kind of wondered why this chair is so expensive um compared to another chair part of showing process is about uh, explaining, you know, the value of this design is because of all the decisions the designer has had to make along the way, the iterations, the kind of getting the details right so it can be manufactured, um, you know, en masse, um, all these things that kind of really um, explain to somebody who has no prior knowledge um, the the work involved, basically, and what designers do every day that a design doesn't just kind of pop out of nowhere, that there's this huge... Um, process that that goes into each project um and yeah so that's partly another reason why we do this prototypes and experiment series is that yes it's interesting to look at what other designers do but it has this added purpose of kind of showing the value of design um and then we kind of thought about design being in this situation where it is in 2019 that you know what are we what are we really doing and making and showing and maybe showing the process of, of design rather than just sort of like pumping it out into the world is is kind of giving some wider context to to what designers do and why they do it rather than just this I, this single aspect single notion of kind of we make stuff we sell stuff um but do you notice that like um you're seeing more process on show like I've noticed a few shows in at Milan for the furniture fair there's kind of less slowly less emphasis on here's a new thing and here's more like this sort of exhibition about who we are as a brand or who we or, you know our stance on design yeah I think it's definitely very interesting we talked about the the Vitra uh, exhibition in Milan a few years ago uh, which was a showcase of like a retrospective of experiments and prototypes yeah. and all sorts of things um, and I think part of probably what's interesting about that is to assume that 
Vitra is a company who don't necessarily feel obliged to create a new product for every single fair. So it's probably a way, I'm I'm just guessing, but it, it's probably an, a nice way for them to have a presence in Milan without having to sort of come up with a new object for the sake of yeah. showing it a fair. So they can like champion process, they can champion their history, they can sort of go back into their catalogue and sort of really celebrate that in a very fresh kind of effective way. Um, I like to think process shows like right now uh, let me let me try to explain it like slightly better uh i like to think that having like shows about process right now are a way to kind of ask questions about the nature of design and sort of i think design is probably in flux at the moment it's yeah. probably in a bit of a transition period uh, especially regarding uh, sustainability and materials yeah. and a commitment to sort of thinking about other ways to design things yeah. um, and a way to do that is to sort of really kind of reveal your process yeah. and to sort of be a little bit vulnerable in in public and I think that's a nice way to sort of sort of be a little bit sort of humble and doubtful and kind of transparent about what design should or could be yeah. um, and hopefully and probably I think designers are sort of adopting that process-based scenario for those reasons as well. That was writer and Aram Gallery curator Ria Patel and designer Dean Brown. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN co-project for White City Place, produced by David Michaud and recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at White City Place, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating and write a comment. It really helps. Thought Starters.